I'm telling you, whenever I end up going back on the road, which I hope is relatively soon, but probably won't be for this year's Australian Open, I can tell you, whenever I head back on the road to travel, my pillow is coming with me. It's totally changed the way I sleep. Totally, I mean, I'm just so much more comfortable. I don't know what it is. Getting a little older, I feel like I need more sleep. I had COVID back in March. I, I feel like I've been sleeping like nine, ten hours a night. But I'll tell you, since I got my pillow, and thanks to my friends there for supporting this podcast and sending me the stuff, absolutely changed my life. You got to try it. My pillow. There's an absolute plethora of stuff you can order on the site. Okay, all different my pillow products. I got the mattress top. I got, as I said, some of the towels. The pillows are off the charts. If you got a pet, you'll love that too. So here's the number to call, 800-875-1023. That's 800-875-1023, and use the promo code COURT. This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. Uh, This man and I have been uh, going back and forth for quite some time, uh, trying to land him on my podcast. He's been nice enough to agree to do it. His background, yeah, he's been in tennis. He's been in college hoops. He's been in NBA. He's a journalist for many, many years, written for many publications, including the New York Times, including for Forbes. Uh, he's a, sort of the man around the New York City area. So I've known Adam, Adam Zagori, I'm talking about for many, many years. But you've always um, loved tennis, Adam. So tell me a little bit about how you got into tennis yourself personally. And then obviously I know it's been part of what you do on your blog and what you've done in your writing career as well. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much, Patrick, for having me on. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you. You do great work on ESPN and with your podcast. Um, yeah, you know, I grew up uh, like an hour north of New York City in Westchester County in Croton-on-Hudson, and my father, who's now 92, um, was a, is and what was a big tennis player and introduced me to the sport. And, uh, you know, I played my whole childhood. I used to hit with my dad every weekday night at the local hard courts across from the high school. And, uh, you know, at that time when I was 10, 11 years old, I was also a huge Johnny Max fan, like, like a lot of people, like right. guys like, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky and, uh-huh. um, you know, guys like that. I know we're also, you know, Steve Nash, a big Johnny Max, Bjorn Borg fan. Now, Steve so, Nash, of course, is the uh, coach of the Brooklyn Nets. By the way, just I don't mean to interrupt your story because this is what this is about, but Steve Nash has gotten super into tennis um, yeah. later in his life. He said just like late in his playing career, his basketball career. So I had him on with Dirk Nowitzki when I first started the podcast way back. But now that he's in New York, I'm going to have to get him solo. And the other thing I've been waiting to do, Adam, with him is hit some balls. Because apparently yeah. he's like obsessed with tennis now. Well, I think he's a little busy right now because he's yes. <laughs> training training camp with the Nets. But you could get him in the summer. I, uh, I've been on some Zoom calls with him talking about Kevin Durant and Kyrie. But yeah, just to kind of finish that real quickly, you know, as a kid, in my mind, you know, I was sort of watching all these epic, you know, McEnroe Borg, uh, you know, Jimmy Connors matches on TV, and I would cut out every New York Times 
article that had, you know, Johnny Mac in it, put it on my wall in, in my bedroom. And, and in 1979, when I was 10, my father won the town tennis tournament mm. in singles and doubles. So he came home with these two trophies that were about as tall as your waist is right now. You know, so in my mind, kind of my dad, you know, was conflated in this tennis world with like your brother and Borg as these sort of larger than life uh, tennis heroes. Very interesting. And, I, and of course, Westchester County, just a little bit north of where I am. I live in Bronxville now. And uh, so I moved out of the city a couple of, a couple of years ago. Now, I know that um, you got a place down on the Jersey Shore because you and I text back and forth during the pandemic. And I'm very impressed, Adam, that uh, even as the weather's turning a bit chilly, you're still getting out there. You're sending me pictures of, you know, you on some, some courts down there by the Jersey Shore actually still playing tennis like if in, in the 40s. Yeah, we were talking about that. I played doubles yesterday morning, Sunday morning, in Cape May at 9.30 in the morning. Mm. I, I think it was about 37 or 39 <laughs> degrees. You know, when I stepped on the court, you're wearing three layers. I played doubles with a guy who said he played first singles at a Division two school in New Hampshire. Okay. You know, and now, he, now he's like 60 or something, but he's still, you can tell he knows how to play doubles. He's good. But these people are, they're hardy down here, man. They play year round. You know, like you said before, if as long as it's sort of 40 or above mm -hmm. and not too windy, you know, not too windy, you could, you could play outdoors. Well, you got to, you got to, you got to suck it up and tough it out. And, um, but like you said, if it's, I, I got, I got my first little taste of paddle tennis, which is played in sort of a cage is popular in, in Westchester and Connecticut. And a lot of ex tennis guys play it as well. And yeah. I must say it was, it was, it was pretty cool. I played, you know, you play at night and it's a little cooler. I played with my brother up in Connecticut, my, my, not my famous brother. Well, he's famous in Connecticut, my brother, Mark. Um, <laughs> and he plays a mean paddle game. So we play, it took me about half a set to sort of figure it out, but it got a good sweat going, uh, Adam. So, I'm, you know, you can get that in tennis, although tennis, you don't, you know, paddles is a little quicker. It's almost like a, you know, it's like a mini tennis court. Um, but if you can break a sweat playing tennis in the forties or fifties, you're doing something right. Yeah. Do you, are you worried the paddle ball is going to mess up your tennis at all or not? Uh, at this stage of my career, Adam, I'm not worried about that at all. No, maybe, <laughs> maybe back in the day, I know you used to play a lot of squash and, and racquetball. I used to think about that when I was a, when I was a legit tennis player, uh, yeah. meaning playing for money. And that was my career. I used to think, well, maybe I shouldn't, you know, I played a, dabbled in squash, a little bit of racquetball, but the swing was so different um, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't play it that much. Used to play a ton of ping pong growing up. Ping pong my, is yeah. awesome. We, we got to play some ping pong. Yeah, my brother and I used to play a lot. In fact, that was one of the only games when I was little that I could actually beat my brother once in a while. Uh, and we grew up in Douglaston in Queens, so we lived in a house and we had uh, a, a garage that was in the, like in the basement downstairs. And we put the ping pong table in the garage so we could play during the winter. And sure. uh, suffice to say, Adam, that there were a lot of uh, masking tape rolls because we would throw the paddles against the wall, you know, when we got pissed, especially uh, my older brother, John. And uh, we'd have to rewrap the, the handles with the masking right. tape. To, and my dad would yell out, what are you, what the hell are you doing down there? <laughs> so that was, that was my history in playing ping pong as a kid. Now, as a, I'm, I certainly wasn't a legit ping pong player, but we used to do that 
um, for fun, just like we do these other sports. And so you, did you keep playing tennis as you got to be a little, you know, like into your teenage years? Basically, Patrick, I have played tennis uh, my whole life. I, I went through a big ultimate Frisbee phase of my life for, you know, 25, 30 years. I played in the Nationals, I uh, played in the semifinals of Nationals with a team from New York and the finals of Masters Nationals with a team from New York. And I think, I think it was Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders had a line once that football was their wife. One of them said football was their wife and baseball was their girlfriend. So <laughs> right. I think for a, you know, a long time for me, it was, you know, ultimate was my wife and tennis was my girlfriend and before, before, I, before I had an actual wife. Amazing because, uh, I mean, how did you get into, how did you get into ultimate? I know you write about on your blog, Zag's blog, by the way, you, you can check it out. Z a G S blog.com. And you can find all Adam's stuff, his articles from the times, from, uh, college hoops, from recruiting tennis. Uh, but, but tell me how you got into that because if you got, if you did that, well, you must have some speed Adam, or you must've had some speed. I had some, yeah. I mean, you know, I went to Wesleyan University in, in Middletown, Connecticut, which is, you know, kind of a small liberal arts, you know, known as a bit of a hippie school. And um, I actually went to meet with the tennis coach there when I first got there. And, you know, I, I don't know if we had a falling out or whatever, but it wasn't just, it wasn't really my scene. And I was sort of, you know, anxious to play a sport, even though I lived in this like super hippie dorm where most of the kids weren't playing sports and I felt like I was missing something and then eventually I kind of fell in with the guys on the ultimate team including one guy who was a year older than me from my high school and it was great because uh you know ultimate uh I, I know people sort of make fun of it still but requires a lot of endurance it's a lot of running a lot of speed um and I you know I played in college and I played for club team and I've you know played my whole life to the point where I now I'm on a great grand masters team. Which oh, is really? 50 wow. 50 and over. That's intense. So, yeah. Yeah. We, act, we actually won a, a world championship in Florida in 2018. So, you know, if you had told me when I was 20 at Wesleyan that I'd be playing something called in great your, grand masters. <laughs> in your fifties with a, with a wife and a couple of kids, right? That's pretty impressive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so tell so, me, but, you know, now that I'm older, you know, I sort of had to, move into tennis more well tennis is i mean and, and like we said like paddle tennis which which i just uh tried out and and also uh pickleball which is getting to be sort of popular i tried that for the first time which is cool i mean obviously whether you obviously playing doubles at our age is 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 a little better because you don't have to cover as much court but those other games are similar so you see a lot of guys our age you know getting to be in their 50s and up um, and who played competitively at some level as a tennis player, you know, getting yeah. in, getting into the, those other sports. All right, let's talk. Let's move a little bit to your 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 real your professional life, which is in journalism and and writing and and how you got started in that. And and, and I know you 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 often come to me when you've got you know some some tennis stuff that you've written about. I know that's one of the things you do. You've mostly done a lot of college hoops and, and NBA hoops, but tell me how that started for you and what, what was the bug um, that got you going there? Yeah. I mean, I think just at a certain point, like most young people, you know, I was looking for something to do. I never wanted to work in an office, you know, nine to five and do be a lawyer or do insurance. None of that stuff appealed to me. And at a certain point it occurred to me that I could get paid to write about sports. Um, you know, I think the first, 
real thing I had was sort of freelance covering a high school basketball team in Ridgewood, Connecticut, the mm. Ridgewood Press. And the editor sent me out to cover a game, and I, you know, I didn't know anything about journalism. I didn't know you were supposed to really interview the players after the game. So I think I, I think like the first story I wrote, I just wrote a story off the game. I didn't interview the players. I didn't know you could really talk to them. Um, you know, and like everyone else, I learned. I went to Columbia Journalism School with our friend Dane McManus, mm-hmm. who's a sure. classmate classmate of mine at Columbia. Um, and I got my first gig at the Star Ledger, an internship out of that, and then, you know, I spent ten or twelve years in newspapers and. Uh, eventually a big thing that happened was while I was at the, the Herald News and the Bergen Record in New Jersey right. in the late 90s they started these things called blogs mm. which at the time everyone you know it was kind of a new thing and they said hey we're going to give you this blog what do you want to call it and I used to have a column in the Ultimate Frisbee newsletter called Zag's Rag mm-hmm. so I said, I said we'll call this Zag's Blog and you know out of that I started covering a lot of high school basketball recruiting college basketball and that you know over the years sort of morphed into covering the big east and covering national college basketball um and you know now i sort of that's probably 50 to 60 percent of what i do and then tennis is maybe 25 percent and nba is 25 percent so it's a little bit of everything it's a little bit of a mishmash And, and how would you say that that your world this world I mean, obviously, you've had to adapt over the years. You've, you've worked in many different different places. But how would you say, let's start with, A, just the Internet in general, because like you said, the blog sort of you know, came up, and now, of course, everybody's on social media to some level. But how did, how, how did that change what's happened in your world, in the journalism world? And then, of course, you know, let's, let's, let's get to the pandemic and how things have, have changed there with all of us doing Zooms. I mean, I started my podcast because of it. Every, you know, different people I've asked to do their podcast. Oh, do I have to do your podcast? Everybody does a podcast now. It's like everybody, yeah, can, yeah. You know, everybody can get their opinion out. But how has that changed the, the, the world, of, the professional world of journalism in your, in, in your experience? Yeah, well, great question. You know, in answer to the first question, I would say that, you know, the Internet in a lot of ways, you know, hurt newspapers. I think everyone knows Mm -hmm. that by now that, you know, I don't know, you know, your kids, my kids, they don't really read a newspaper in print. They don't hold it in their hands. Right. They, you know, everyone gets their news on the Internet. So that, you know, costs a lot of jobs in the newspaper and the print industry. You know, a lot of my friends were Mm -hmm. furloughed or, or let go. And it's still and it's and it's still costing jobs, right? I mean, in that industry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, as you know, the Daily News, you know, used to have a very robust robust sports department. They let off, let go, almost all their sports department, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, ESPN had layoffs. So, you know, a lot of companies have had layoffs. Um, so that's you know, it's that's been tough. Now, the flip side of it, I'll you know, and and also another big change is like in the old days. If you, if I worked at, say, the Star Ledger and I broke a story that, you know, Patrick McEnroe was committing to Stanford, right. and you gave me an, you gave me an exclusive <clears throat> interview right. that I could, I could put in my paper on Saturday, mm-hmm. and I beat, I beat the New York Post or the Daily News, you know, they would have to read about it in the paper Saturday, you know, Patrick McEnroe committed this to Stanford, and they'd have to wait to get it in the newspaper, you know, Sunday or Monday right. after they, after they got their own interview with you. 
So there was, you really kind of get a real satisfaction of, you know, I'm a competitive guy. Journalists are competitive. Like, hey, I beat these guys on this Patrick McEnroe story. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Woj breaks the big, you know, Woj bomb about James Harden or, right. or, you know, or whatever on the internet. And within two minutes or five minutes, you know, there's 10 or 20 stories on, on websites all around the, the world who embedded his tweet, you know, taken the news, put up a headline, and, and they're getting the internet traffic off of news he's made. Right, right. You know, or news, news I make or news any reporter makes. And so then, and so, so then, the only way you, and then the only way you, you, those those sites can monetize that is by basically getting advertisers, correct? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not in the advertising world, but the, yeah, the whole the whole business is now about about really clicks and and monetizing internet traffic, which is a whole another world. But you know, I've been able sort of, and I think most journalists, you know, you have to first of all, you have to be responsible and reputable in your information. You mm-hmm. have to make sure your information correct. Right. And there's a real, there's a real pressure now to get stuff out first. And if you're, if you're first and you're wrong, you know, that doesn't help you. Um, so I think, you know, there's still a place for, for journalists to tell good stories and break news and have access to, you know, people that everyone else doesn't. But, you know, there's a whole world of, of dudes now that just, sit in their basement or sit in an office and have never interviewed, you know, Patrick or John McEnroe or Carmelo mm-hmm. Anthony. And they just take other people's tweets or information and write, you know, quote unquote stories off of that. Yeah. And if they're really good at sort of manipulating the information or creating videos or coming up with, uh, you know, something that sort of catches people's attention, then that's what gets them the clicks. Right. And that gets them at the end of the day, they can make a living doing that. Right. Yeah, and, and the average consumer, you know, doesn't really care mm-hmm. who broke. They don't care which reporter broke the news. They just they just want to read about it. So, you know, again, it, it's this whole business of search engine optimization and you know who can get the most clicks. I mean, you know, obviously someone like Woj is is uh, unique in that he's the clear preeminent leader on NBA news in his industry. Um, and so people know when he produces news, but most people don't really, you know, give a darn where the news comes from. They just, they just want it. So speaking of the news, and we, 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 we briefly brought up the Brooklyn Nets, but obviously with, with Durant and Kyrie and now Steve Nash as, uh, as the new coach, um, what, do you, what do you, I mean, I've, I was actually just looking at uh, sort of the preseason, you know, some predictions, and, and, and I think a couple sites had Brooklyn like, you know, with a decent chance to go at least to get to the finals. I know the Lakers will still be the favorite, but where do you, I mean, you know, on the inside of what, what you know as much as you can be during these times, what do you, what do you make of where the Nets can go this year? Yeah, it's interesting because you look at all the odds, the Vegas odds, you know, the Lakers are the, clearly the number one favorite right. to repeat. They have, you know, they have LeBron and Anthony Davis. And then they added some other nice pieces, Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell. So I think they're clearly the favorite. The, the Bucks and Giannis are generally the number two favorite. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of sites have the Nets as the third favorite, which is, you know, considering they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie and a lot of supporting pieces, that's not that surprising. But this team has never played together. Right. You know, KD, KD hasn't played a single game with them. He's, he hasn't played with Kyrie. They're both coming off injuries. KD hasn't played a game in like 560 days or something. 
Yeah, so, well, yeah, uh, but it, it, it's amazing how in basketball, I mean, if you have the best player, obviously if you're LeBron or, you know, if Durant does come back healthy, he's, you know, arguably the second best, maybe, you know, certainly the best scorer, maybe the best all-around player along with LeBron. It's amazing how much when you, if you have that one guy and then you have a good, really great second guy and then you have the pieces that basically – it it's not it's not that surprising to me as someone that doesn't follow it as closely as you do that they would put them that high because it is you know one player really can make that much of a difference to me more than any other in, in any other sport as far as the team sports go yeah absolutely that's one thing i've always loved about basketball as opposed to football patrick is you know one or two guys can dramatically change the right. the fortunes of a team you know, I've been on these Zoom calls with Steve Nash and the Nets players for the past week. And, you know, one interesting thing is kind of the whole load management question with them. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, he said Kyrie and, Kyrie and KD, you know, probably won't play all 72 games. So it's like, how many games will they play? How many will he rest them? You know, everybody wants to see how Durant looks when he comes back. Um, and, you know, we'll just kind of have to see how he adapts and how his body holds up. You know, the other flip side of that story is that the Nets have a chance here in New York, Patrick, to sort of overtake the Knicks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, from a, from a playing standpoint, that doesn't say a lot, but I get your point. You know, being, being yeah. a longtime Knicks fan that I've always been, obviously the Knicks rule the roost in, in New York, but, I mean, as far as what they're putting out on the court, it's just been pitiful, absolutely pitiful. Yeah, it's been two decades. I have a lot of friends like you do who are Knicks fans, and look, let's be frank, some people – want the owner to sell the team and they, they don't think the team will ever, you know, reverse its curse until he sells the team. Um, and it's going to be weird this year because there won't be fans at the game. So you mm-hmm. won't really have a sense, won't really have a sense of the buzz around the team. But, you know, clearly there's a lot of expectation and hype around the Nets and they, and, you know, they're expected to be more relevant than the Knicks. You know, and then obviously another huge NBA storyline right now, Patrick, is is James Harden, right. what's going to happen with him. Um, you know, he wasn't, he hasn't been in Rockets training camp the past couple of days. He was apparently at a, a rapper's uh, birthday event. At a strip Atlanta. club, at a strip club, right? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, everybody sort of wants to know what's going to happen there. Is he going to force his way out, force a trade? Will he end up with the Nets? If he does end up with the Nets, how does that, you know, manufacture itself when you have, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. Yeah, there's only, there's only one ball, guys. That's, that could yeah. be a little difficult. Then they all like to shoot, yeah. those guys, all three yeah. of them. Yeah. Interesting. So it's a lot of interesting uh, questions going into the season. All right, let me get your take on tennis because uh, I was, I'm happy to hear you say like 25% of, of what you do and where you get your income or, or, and, and, the, and the writing you do is, is about tennis because I know you and I stay in touch on that. I love your stuff that you put out mostly on Forbes uh, on, online. But, uh, you, you know, the Australian Open, I, I did a little solo pod a little bit earlier, talked just a little bit about, you know, the way things are changing, the dynamic of, uh, of the start time a couple weeks later, the, the two-week quarantine for the players, although now they'll be able to at least practice for four or five hours a day. Um, what's your take on sort of, you know, how Tennis A has handled the pandemic and, you know, the tournament schedule that we, it was able to have, including, of course, the U.S. Open, which I was lucky enough to be there, but also looking ahead to next year. How do you think tennis has handled it when you compare it to the other sports that you cover, hoops, you know, pro hoops and college hoops, for example? 
Yeah, well, first of all, again, I'll just say that I think you and your colleagues, you know, Brad Gilbert and, uh, you know, Renee Stubbs and all the folks at ESPN do a great job. And, Thank and, you. And the, the Tennis Channel guys as well, Andy Roddick and Jim Currier and those guys. Um, and, I, you know, I'm always interested when one of you sort of comments on the state of the GOAT race and who's going to wind up with the most majors all the mm-hmm. time. I think right. everyone's sort of fascinated by that conversation. You know, as far as the schedule, um, I think they did the best they could. I mean, you know, they shut down, they canceled Indian Wells last year, which was the first major sporting event in the U.S. to be canceled. Amazing, right? Because I, I, I remember getting, literally I was about to get on a plane to go out there. And I, I remember going on a ra- the radio show with our buddy, the Mad Dog, Chris Russo, who, of course, is a huge right. radio personality, if anyone doesn't know him. Uh, but also a big tennis fan. And he was going on and on about how could they cancel Indian Wells. And I think the NBA had just had maybe that first game that, that got canceled. And he said, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, he, may, he went on this un- unbelievable rant saying that they're going to shut everything down. And I, and I called him, actually, and I said, yeah, I think that's actually exactly what's going to happen. He's like, you can't yeah. just shut everything down. And then, lo and behold, he had to come back a couple days later and said, yeah, I guess that, that is where we're going. But Indian Wells was like really the first event, big time of sporting yeah. event in this country to shut down, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, um, look, I was at the Big East tournament that uh, Wednesday, I guess, March mm-hmm. 10th. Yep. I was also at an, an Allman Brothers reunion, tribute concert at the Garden on March 9th. I think that's when I got COVID sometime in those two days. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then I come home that, whatever that Wednesday was, the, the 11th or whenever the, the, the night the NBA canceled. Right. And I think it, it really hit home for everybody. Like, holy cow, they're shutting the NBA down. Right. And around that same time, they, they canceled Indian Wells. And people were, you know, that's when it really hit home for a lot of people. Well. Um, now now here we are, and it sounds like, you know, according to our buddy John Wertheim and other people, they're, they're probably not going to have Indian Wells again this year, right? Well, I've heard uh, through my sources, okay, which I can't divulge, that uh, there's still talk going on. I believe that they want to hold the tournament for sure. Obviously, the question is, will there be any fans at all? Um, right. But I, 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 I think they, they really want the tournament to take place, and if it means that, you know, they'll, they, I think they would do it without fans if they could is the point. I mean, last year, they obviously was too quick. There was no way they could pull it off. Um, but I think this year, the intent, at least, is to, is to have the event happen. Of course, the Australian Open, um, Adam, will be a couple of weeks later than normal. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be going to the Australian Open, as I've done every year for, since 1991, uh, which was actually, believe it or not, the year I made the semifinals there. Give myself a little plug. But I've been going there every yeah. year to either yeah. play or broadcast, and I have to tell you, traveling all over the world, this is my plug for my first sponsor, Adam, okay? My pillow is sponsoring my podcast, and let me tell you something. What, well, you know this from traveling, right? What's the most important thing for you when you go check into a hotel? What's the single most important thing, number one? You want to be comfortable in your bed with your pillow? Well, the pillow, yeah. Well, you're a good man. I would say clean is number one, probably. We yeah. want it to be clean. But number two is how comfortable is the bed and the pillow? And for me, traveling like I have for you know 40 years playing tennis, uh, 
I always get bummed when I get like the soft pillow. So I went to my pillow when they said <laughs> they're going to sponsor me. I went to the website. I ordered the my pillow. I ordered the medium version, the king size version. I mean, it's changed my life. The last week, it's been unbelievable. I've been sleeping with them. You can wash them. You can put them in the dryer. They don't go flat. You can wash them and dry them as many times as you want. Of course, they're all made in the USA. You've got to check these out. Premium My Pillows right now. Okay, Adam, check this out. You get the premium My Pillow, normally $69.98. Holiday special, $29.98. That's 40 That's bucks quite, off. Okay. Quite a deal. So you're talking about a deal, okay, at this holiday time. Go get the premium My Pillow. Buy it now. Old Mike will extend his 60 day money back guarantee to March 1st. 2021 go to mypillow.com click on the radio listeners square you'll find all these other amazing things you get by the way do you have a pet adam we have a two-year-old dog named daphne okay so i have a dog named pepper he's a yorkie so he's small but you can buy a a large or a medium or a small uh, pet pillow so i bought one for my dog oh my god my three daughters love it oh it's so cute get the thing so i got that i got some towels i got the robe I got the extra sheets for the bed. Phenomenal. So here's the number to call. You ready? My pillow. Get anything you want. Go to the website. Go 1-800-875-1023. That's 1-800-875-1023. And, of course, you've got to use the promo code COURT, as in holding court, which is what I'm doing right now with the one and only Adam Zagoria. So when we look, I, I want to get a little bit from you, Adam, too, on college hoops, because I love hoops. Obviously, the college season, you know, I guess like the football season, it's going to be touch and go game after game. Even, even the game, the big showdown, Gonzaga and Baylor got canceled, what, like an hour before the game. They were, they're one and two in the country, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, the coaches, Scott Drew and Mark Few were, you know, courtside in their mask, mm-hmm. kind of ready to go, ready to go. And, and the game was canceled because Gonzaga had some positive tests last week. And now they're shut down, you know, until December 14th, they, they canceled four games. So, you know, I mean, what's really weird about the college season is you've got some teams, Patrick, like Xavier mm-hmm. has played six games, six already. And then you have teams like Manhattan, uh, coached by our guy, Steve Massiello, a former, Right, Nick Ball boy with Rick Pitino. They haven't played a single game. Unbelievable! You know, couple, it's crazy. A couple of schools like DePaul and Temple and Manhattan haven't played a single game, and then you have other schools that have played five or six. And Pitino's so, and Pitino's a coach up here by me now, right? Rick is a. Uh, I'm on Zoom calls with him a couple times a week. He's coaching at Iona. And how's that working uh, out so far? How they how they look? They lost to Seton Hall in okay. their opener at Seton Hall. Um, then they went and beat up on Hofstra the other day, and okay. they have a kid named they have a kid named Isaiah Ross, who scored 33 points against Hofstra in that game. Wow! And uh, you know it's interesting to see Rick. You know you're so used to seeing him coach at Kentucky and Louisville in these right. big time programs. You know obviously he had his off court issues, mm-hmm. and you know he was he was fired at Louisville in 2017. That's not a secret, but. He took this job because he said it reminds him of Providence, you know, small Catholic school. Where he had an unbelievable um, run. Got, didn't he get him the Final Four there? Final Four with, yeah. with Billy D, with right. Billy Donovan as, as the point guard. And so, you know, he, he speaks very fondly about, about Providence and how 
walking around the Iona campus reminds him of that. And he wants to, says he's going to coach at Iona for five, six, seven years. He believes they can be kind of the Gonzaga or the St. Hmm. Mary's of the North of the Northeast. Okay. Uh, you know, a sleeping giant. Um, and he's, you know, he brought in, he actually had a pretty funny, interesting story about how he brought in eight new recruits this year, including a, a kid from Nigeria, a couple overseas kids, kids from around the U.S. And he said COVID actually helped them in recruiting because these kids weren't able to visit other campuses. They, they committed because it was Rick Pitino and they didn't know anything about Iona or New Rochelle, New York, but they committed because of him. And if it hadn't been for COVID, you know, they could have visited other campuses and, and gone somewhere else. <laughs> Interesting. Well, listen, you know, yeah. when this whole thing ends, um, we might have to go over to, you know, I own it like 10 minutes away from me. So I'm going to have to go over there and actually check out a game. Who, you, and, you and me, we'll, get, we'll play some tennis. Okay, when this, maybe by the spring, we can yeah. get the vaccine, like the college season. It'll be March Madness may become like May Madness. Who the heck knows? And That's um, what Patino wants. Yeah. yeah, we could go hit some balls together, and um, then we can go watch a game. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll have to cap off the night by going out for Italian food with Rick. <laughs> now you're talking, man. <laughs> uh, you're talking. Adam Zagoria, man, it's been a real pleasure. This, like, flew by. Um, and yeah, I, and just, if I, let, me, let me just finish real quick on the college hoop. Yes, please. You know, uh, I mean, look, there was no NCAA tournament this past March, just like we mentioned with, uh, Indian Wells being canceled, and the NCA lost almost four hundred million dollars there, Patrick, three hundred and seventy-five mm-hmm. million bucks with no tournament. You know, and you had there were a lot of stories like Rutgers was going to be in the tournament for the first time since nineteen ninety-one. Right. Um, Ob Toppin, who's now with the Knicks, uh, could have made a run to the Final Four with Dayton. Same with Miles Powell, who's now with the Knicks, and, and Seton Hall. So it's sort of heartbreaking as someone who covers a lot of those guys, mm-hmm. those kids, that they didn't get to play. So there's a lot of money at stake this year. They are going to have an NCAA tournament. They're, they're saying they're going to hold it in a bubble in mm-hmm. Indianapolis just in one city. Um, but, you know, in the next two, three months, it'll be interesting. You know, some teams are going to play 25 games and some, people, some teams are going to play 15 because of, of COVID. Right, and you know what you know what else is also heartbreaking, Adam. And you're absolutely right. I mean, not to mention kids that were either graduating from high school or college, just uh, you know, non-athletes, just any kids. But uh, did you see the 60 Minutes piece last night? This was a Sunday night. This is uh, you know the piece on the the secondary sports, you know, going under at a lot of big time programs. Minnesota, for example, Stanford cut 11 varsity sports. Tennis wasn't one of them, but tennis was one of the sports cut at the University of Minnesota, which is a big uh, Big Ten, or is it Big 12? I guess it's Big Ten still, you know, big, huge school. Big Ten, yeah. yeah and, and UConn, I think yep. UConn cut in tennis too, right? Yes, and part of the, and, and, and a big part of the reason is that because, of, you know, the correlation between the final four March Madness not happening – so all those schools losing the revenue and, you know, from, from basketball, obviously football and basketball are, are, are the revenue sources for all the athletic programs, but uh, sports like fencing, you know, wrestling, uh, swim, you know, swimming in some places. I mean, these are sports that produce Olympic athletes. I mean, when I went to Stanford, I mean, there were more Olympic athletes on the, on the swimming team. You know, it was remarkable. Right. So anyway, that's another story. We'll, we'll, we can do a pod down that uh, on that topic uh, down the road. But uh, it's been awesome. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I think if I could just say one thing, I just, you know, I think there's sort of conflicting 
interests here are mm-hmm. on the one hand, you know, obviously people's health is the primary yes. issue. And, and there's a whole contingent of people that say, look, you shouldn't be putting these student athletes in football or basketball or other sports at risk right. by having them, by having them tra- travel and play games at all. Um, and on the other side of that is, um, A, there's a ton of money at stake in, in football and basketball. And B, there's, you know, a huge population of the segment of the American population that has to have their football, wants to see it, wants to see basketball. And it, it gives people a certain level of, of comfort and normalcy to have these sports being played during a pandemic. But, you know, you're also, you know, playing with people's lives to some extent. Yeah, well, I think also the big, uh, to me, the bigger reason that these sports are happening is financial. It's economic right. because whether even yeah. it's ESPN that I work for or different networks, I mean, there's so much money involved in, in football and basketball. So we got to take the good with the bad. You know, you got to, if you're getting, you know, this is, this, this, this is the way the college system works at the moment. Um, you know, it's different in Europe. They don't have big time college, you know, athletics. If you, if you become a, if you're into whatever sport you're into, you try to be a, become a professional or you try to, you know, swim in the Olympics. If you're from Croatia, for example, or play on the national team, you come, you don't go to college to do that. You do that in the U S which has attracted a lot of, you know, athletes in all sports, but particularly tennis from different parts of the world. But uh, we, again, we could, we could go on and on on that. We shall, we should at someday talk about that because I find that a fascinating topic as well. Yeah, I mean, look, the main thing is we just got to stay safe and do all the stuff, social distance, wear a mask that, 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 that they advise. And yep. hopefully we get through this, these seasons and hopefully we get a vaccine here by, you know, sooner than later. And we know that uh, we can play tennis and be socially distanced, Adam. So you keep doing it down in Jersey. I'll keep doing it here in Westchester at at our academy at Randall's Island. And uh, we'd love to have you come there and pay us a visit anytime too as well. It sounds good. I'm looking forward to playing at Iona. (laughs) Exactly. You got it. Adam Zagori, everyone on holding court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.